Have you ever noticed how uh, some people have, uh, for lack of better terms, sort of a, a trademark or signature characteristic that sets them apart? You know, athletes, for example, have certain signature routines they follow. Uh, one of my favorite players on the panels is Juan Soto, and he has uh, the Soto Shuffle. Uh, musicians have fascinating quirks as well and signatures. Most guitar players almost instinctively strum their guitar before they play or, or tune it in some way. Certain politicians and pastors, for that matter, have uh, hand gestures and catchphrases when they speak. Some people are um, inherently musical. And you may notice some of them at work, they may uh, hum or whistle everywhere they go. Uh, on our little staff team here, we have two of those people. And uh, I personally feel sorry for those who can't whistle as much as I do, but um, I've tried to teach them. We all have trademark characteristics that lets people know how we roll in the world. So does God. So does God. God has certain signature ways that God works in the world. So for example, God is always on the side of someone who is being oppressed and God is on the side of the poor. God moves toward those who are humble and God is displeased with us when we are proud. God is loving. And so that whenever we consider all the other characteristics of God, God's justice and God's mercy, we need to see it through the lens that God is the essence of love. What we'll learn from our text today is that God also has a trademark way, sort of a, a signature way of inviting men and women to follow him on a spiritual journey. And we see this trademark characteristic of God in the life of Abram, later renamed Abraham, the father of faith. And in God's call on the life of Abram and his wife, Sarah, we see just this classic way that God continually invites us into the spiritual journey. So let me invite you to turn or launch your Bibles uh, to Genesis chapter 12. Uh, we'll be reading verses 1 through 8. Genesis is the very first book in the Bible, so you don't have to look very far. Uh, go to the front cover and just turn past the maps and past the table of contents, and you'll get to Genesis really soon. So Genesis chapter 12, uh, verses 1 through 8. And by the way, if you ever read Genesis as a whole, uh, one of the things you'll notice is uh, Genesis 1 through 11 almost represents sort of act 1, and Genesis chapter 12 begins almost like an act 2. And so when you read uh, Genesis 11 and 12, you can almost see the curtain closing at the end of chapter 11 and then an opening with what we're about to read. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 8 reads like this. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarah, his nephew Lot, and all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there, he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent. 
with Bethel on the west and I on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. This is the word of God for the people of God. Let's take a closer look to this trademark characteristic of God and the way that he calls us to follow him. The first thing I want us to see just right away is the call. The call of God. God calls us. I am not sure I can actually overstate how incredibly important this simple reality is. God, the God who created the heavens and the earth, knows that you exist. Just stop on that one for a moment. God knows you exist and God cares for you. He cares that you exist. And God initiates the relationship and he wants to be in a relationship with you. He loves you and he wants you to love him and he wants you to be under his protection and under his care. Now that's good news. I could stop right there and that's good news. That God, the God who created all things knows you and cares for you. And we see all throughout scripture, God calling people to him. God calls Abraham here. He called Moses at the burning bush. He called and anointed David, the young shepherd. He called Samuel. He called the prophets. Jesus called the disciples. God called St. Paul on the road to Damascus. And God continually calls men and women to join him on the journey of faith. Have you ever been in that place where you wondered? Have you ever been in that place of wondering if you would be chosen or invited? Ever, anybody ever been there? It might be flashbacks to the grade school playground when teams chose sides and you wondered if you would be picked to play on a team. It may have been the middle school cafeteria and you had anxiety wondering if anyone would sit with you. Maybe it was the cool work group at work and you're wondering if you would get invited out for, for dinner at the end of the workday. Maybe it was wondering if an absentee parent would actually show up and desire to be a part of your life. Maybe it's wondering if you will get married someday. Maybe it's at the dinner table at the senior retirement community wondering if anybody will sit with you. Sometimes it goes all the way back to middle school doesn't it? I think we'd all raise our hands and confess that we have felt the anxiety of wondering if we would be noticed and if we would be chosen. I remember in middle school, I, I was an awkward, awkward middle school kid. And every year, our church youth group would go to an amusement park I mean, I love the rides. I love the, the old wooden roller coasters that you wondered if they're going to stay up when you were riding them. I love the oaken bucket. Anybody, an oaken bucket was this round thing you'd get in and it'd just spin around and, and the, all the force would make you stick against the wall and the floor would drop out. I just loved it. I loved all the junk food. I even, uh, for a while, uh, loved the smell of the, just the sun beating down uh, on the asphalt, which you now I don't like too much. But I absolutely was gripped with anxiety. And I, I came to actually hate going on the trip. Why? Because from the bus ride from Greensboro to Charlotte, which is about 100 miles, I was filled with anxiety, wondering if anybody would pair up and ride rides with me. Wondering if I would be chosen. Wondered if anybody would want to ride the Oaken Bucket. Now, I think we can all relate to that in some way. 
If you don't hear anything else this morning, hear this. God Almighty loves you, he cares for you, and he wants to be in a relationship with you. And he calls you, he invites you into the journey of faith. How does he call you? He calls you in the pages of Scripture. Some of you may be hearing that call for the first time today. He calls you through sermons. He calls you through the invitation of a friend. He calls you through songs we sing. Jesus is tenderly calling today. Calling today. Come home. Jesus will call you. Do you believe it? That's the question. Do you believe it? Will you hear his voice and answer his call even today? Now, before you answer that question, let's keep moving. Because now we see that God challenges and God promises. That's also part of God's trademark move. To really feel the weight of God's challenge to Abram, we need to go to the closing verses of chapter 11. You'll notice Genesis chapter 11 includes an ancient genealogy. On face value, a genealogy represents blessing and and fruitfulness. It, It represents the perpetuity of the blessing from generation to generation to generation. But now listen, as it goes, how this genealogy, this uh, perpetuation of blessing, listen how it goes for Abram and his wife, Sarah. Genesis eleven thirty b Now Sarah was childless because she was not able to conceive. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarah, the wife of his son Abram, and together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Terah lived 205 years, and he died in Haran. And then our passage from today, uh, verse, uh, chapter 12, verse 1, the Lord said to Abram, go from your country. Abram and Sarah were settled. They were settled in Haran. Settled. Now, there's something about that word, settled, that we really like. Many of you have moved with the government or the military or business. And when you move, you look forward to getting unpacked so that you can finally get settled. When we go on vacation, we usually like to to arrive to our destination and unload and then get settled. When kids start a new school year, parents look forward to the establishment of a routine so that they can get settled. When we start a new job and we figure out the best way to commute from there to here, we like that because we can kind of get in and get settled. It's easy to get settled into a routine. We want to be settled into a routine. You guys know I'm an absolute dog lover, and I'm amazed at how dogs get settled uh, into a routine. When I walk Marley in the morning, he knows that we go from the end of the alley in the morning and we take a left. When I walk Marley in the evening, he knows we go to the end of the alley and we take a right. Now, I don't ever remember teaching him how to tell time or the difference between left and right. But as sure as night falls after day, he turns left in the morning and he turns right in the afternoon. He is settled in that pattern. Just dog settled. And if I try to go the other way, which I've tried just as a social experiment, he won't go. I either have to pick him up or spend a thousand dollars at Old Town School for Dogs training him not to do that, which I'm not going to do. So I go the way he wants to go. 
<laughs> we're the same way. We value getting settled. And there's a value to being settled in some aspects of life. And, and faith matters. One of the gifts we receive in Christ is a peace that settles us even when the world is swirling around us. But that's not the kind of settled, this peace of Christ that, that God is disrupting here. There's another kind of settled that's not good for us. You probably can't define it technically, but it's that state of being where we close ourselves off to new ideas, where we close ourselves off to the movement of God, new thoughts and new possibilities. Perhaps it's when we allow ourselves to get into a comfort zone in such a way that it overtakes our lives like kudzu on a southern highway and we can't imagine God calling us to something else. Notice what is happening in the text. Abraham and Sarah are settled and unable to have children. The promise of children which they longed for will not happen for them in the place where they are settled. For Abram and Sarah being settled in Haran is equated to being in this painful place of an unfulfilled hope and dream. Their greatest hope was to have a child, but it's not going to happen where they're settled. Have you ever been stuck? Have you ever been in a place where you feel, felt trapped? A place that you felt like was a dead end? Maybe a hopeless financial situation, maybe a hopeless job situation where there's just no hope in sight. Is there an area of your life in which you can say, I, I can relate to Abram in Haran. I can relate. Stuck. Settled. Unable to attain all that you've hoped for and yearned for. Here's hope. God sees you in your stuck place. And he wants you to hear his call of hope. Remember what God was up to here. God was establishing a people for himself, a people that would be a vessel of his glory, a light to the nations, a people that would, from, which, from whom eventually would come the Messiah, Jesus. God was starting a nation for himself. How are nations back then formed? They start with families. So for God to make good on what he was doing, he would need to start a family of families with a couple. He would need a man and wife who would be fruitful and multiply. So here's Abram and here's Sarah in their stuck, settled place, unable to have children, and God calls them to start a family. By the way, did I mention they were 75? Or Abram was 75? Anybody, don't raise your hand if you're 75, but if you are, can you imagine having a toddler now? If you're stuck and in a settled and a hopeless place today, hear the good news. God's call on your life, God's call on anyone's life, doesn't depend on the potentiality of the person being called. God does not call you because you're able. God calls you and makes you able. Let me say that again. God doesn't call you because you're able. He calls you and equips you and then makes you able. God did not need a young millennial couple to start the nation. 
I guess those running for president would be glad about that. I'm sorry, I, that was out of left field. <laughs> God chose two senior citizens to be his agents through which he would birth a nation. One scholar wrote that you could summarize the spiritual journey like this. The human destiny was and is, the human destiny is to live in God's creation with God's other creatures on God's terms. I, I absolutely love that. Isn't that the spiritual journey? To live in God's, in, in, in God's creation with God's other creatures on God's terms. And God had terms for Abram and Sarah. God had terms. He just didn't say, oh, here's a blessing, here's a blessing, here's a blessing. God had terms. And what were the terms? Get up, leave, and go. Get up, leave, and go. That was their challenge. Get up out of your settled place and trust God's promise that the new place where he wants you to go is better than the old place he's prying you away from. It is a challenge, and it is a steep challenge. But there's a promise. God challenged them to leave what they knew behind, and God promised to bless them. And get this, God did not ask Abram and Sarah to give up anything that he would not replace with that which is better. He told them to leave his people, leave his family. Leave your family. Now, we do an informal poll around here from time to time. Let me just do it again. How many of you, just by show of hands, how many of you live over 50 miles from your family of origin? That's almost everybody. Almost. So you know what it's like to get up and to leave and to go. I've lived away from home uh, at least uh, 300 miles, 200 miles when we were in Richmond since I was 19. When we moved to Minnesota, that was uh, 20, almost 1,200 miles away uh, from North Carolina. I'll never forget when we moved to Minnesota, we had our last visit with uh, my parents before we would drive out there, and my mom gave me a hug. She told me she loved me, and what I, I can still hear her saying it today to me. She said, don't let them, which I guess meant the Minnesotans, but don't let them take the South out of you. So I tried to learn to cook southern dishes for my Minnesota friends. They didn't quite get fried cornmeal, uh, which is otherwise known as hush puppies in North Carolina. But many of you know what it's like to leave. But check this out. God challenged them to leave his family, but God promised them a family. A family that would one day turn into a nation. God told them to leave the land, but promised to give them an even better land and to give them a sense of peace and to help give them his peace on them in their life there. You know, back then the relationship to the land was fascinating. Abram and his father, they were nomads. And so their relationship to the land was usually one of getting driven out and trying to find another place to go. But God said, no, I'm going to give you a land and it's, it's going to be a promised land. It's going to be a great land. Abram was told to leave his father's household, which represented inheritance and possessions. Now, you see in the text where Abram took Lot, his nephew. God didn't say take Lot. And knucklehead Lot caused him problems later, right? In the text, God said, leave your father's household, which usually meant inheritance and possessions. And we see where Abraham took stuff with him. Now, 
Abraham wasn't perfect in his journey. We're not going to be perfect in our journey either. Which, by the way, when you study scripture, keep this in mind, everything the Bible describes, the Bible doesn't prescribe. Okay? So scripture described that Abram took Lot, but God didn't tell Abram to take Lot. All right, back to our thing. God told him to leave all that he knew, which was a source of security. And God promised to bless those who blessed them and curse those who cursed him. In other words, God said, anybody who helps you out, I'm going to bless them. Anybody who gets in your way, anybody who gets in the way of my sovereign work in the world, I'll take care of them for you, Abram. What an amazing promise. God calls. God challenges us to trust him on the journey. And if we trust him, he promises to bless us beyond what we can imagine. In the life of Abram and Sarah, the journey had twist, but he became the father of the nation of Israel. Listen to how Genesis records Abraham's death. Altogether, Genesis tells us, Abraham lived 175 years. Then Abraham breathed his last and died at a good old age. A man, an old man and full of years. And I love this last phrase. And he was gathered to his people. He's called by God to leave his kin. His life ends with him being gathered to his people as the father of a nation. What does this mean for us today? This is a trademark call of God. What God did in the life of Abraham, God will do in your life too. No, God will more than likely not call you to start a family in your mid-70s or to launch a new nation. But God will challenge you to leave your stuck and settled places. Those places in life that are not bearing fruit and he will call you to a better place. For some of you, that stuck and settled place might be a bad attitude. For others, it may be a destructive relationship. For others, it may be a pattern of anxiety and fear. For others, it may be lingering hurts and wounds that God wants to heal. Still others, it may be a place of doubt and disbelief. For some, it may be a life that's self-centered and self-directed that you know is a dead end. God wants to upend you and bring you out of these places. And just as certain as God will challenge you to follow him in trusting obedience, he promises to bless you. It's his signature move. It's his trademark. He will replace everything you leave behind to follow him with something infinitely better. One quote that I just absolutely love from Walter Brueggemann, an Old Testament scholar, faith as a response is the capacity to embrace that announced future with such passion that the present can be relinquished for the sake of that future. St. Paul said it another way, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. God's promise is to bless you. His promise comes with a premise is that you would trust him enough for that announced future to take the first step of following him. Are you in a stuck place this morning? Are you ready to get up? Are you ready 
to leave that stuck place and go with God on the journey he's planned for your life. He promises to bless you in ways that are far beyond your imagination. Amen? Let's pray together. God, thank you for seeing us and loving us. Thank you for calling us into a relationship with you. I thank you, God, that you care about those stuck and settled places. You don't want us, Lord, in those places. That you want us to, you want to lift us up and lift us out into your promised future. Lord, I don't know what the exact nature of the promised future for everyone in this room is, but you know. And you know the the future that you have for each person in this room is infinitely better than any stuck place would offer. And so I pray, God, for the gift of faith. I pray, God, that you would bestow each person in this room the gift of faith and confidence to even take one step to trust you and to follow you. And Lord, as we do, continue to remind us And continue to give us the confidence that indeed you are faithful to your word. And everything that you have for us in your future is far better than what we would have in that stuck, settled place. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.